1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss issues involving your children as they are growing up. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Got a burning question about your teen today? Have you been wondering what's going on with your child? Well, give us a call, and we'll see if we can not answer some of those questions that you have about their health. Because today we'll be taking your questions about the health of your kids and family. You can reach us by calling one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to teens at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio.
2: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jim Hawk. Donald Trump's campaign chairman says the candidate will support the House Speaker in his congressional bid for re-election, despite saying earlier he wasn't sure. He's going to support Paul Ryan. He, I mean, He does support Paul Ryan. He said he's going to work with Paul Ryan. Uh, so th- there's no issue about that. Uh, he didn't take a position in the primary. Uh, he said He's not taking a position in many primaries. Paul Manafort speaking on CBS this morning. Trump campaigns in Maine today, while Hillary Clinton is in Nevada. NPR has learned that the National Institutes of Health plans to lift a moratorium on funding a controversial area of scientific research. As NPR's Rob Stein reports, the NIH wants to let researchers use government money to create animal embryos that are part human, part animal.
3: Scientists want to use new genetic engineering techniques and human stem cells to create pig, sheep, and cow embryos that are partly human. They hope This will let them find better ways to prevent and treat all kinds of terrible diseases, like growing human organs in animals for transplants. But the research raises lots of ethical issues and fears. Fears about animals with partially human brains or animals with human sperm and eggs accidentally breeding, creating human embryos. But the NIH concluded the research is promising, so promising it should move forward, and that it can be carefully monitored to prevent any of the worst fears from coming true.
2: Rob Stein, NPR News. The suicide rate among veterans is increasing faster than the rate for civilians. NPR's Quill Lawrence reports on new comprehensive data from the Department of Veterans Affairs. The new VA study looked at 55
1: million veterans' records from 1979 until 2014 from all 50 states. It concludes that, on average, 20 veterans take their own lives every day. About 65 percent of those vets are at least 50 years old, but the hardest-hit group is aged 18 to 29. The risk of suicide across all ages is 21% worse for veterans. While suicide is increasing nationwide, it's increasing at a much higher rate among former military, though that includes many who never deployed to war or saw combat. The rate is much lower for vets receiving VA care than for those outside the system, especially female veterans. But the VA is still facing a shortage of mental health professionals nationwide. Quill
2: Lawrence, NPR News. The Bank of England has cut its key interest rate to a record low, just a quarter of one percent. The central bank is also expanding its stimulus program to pump an additional $79 billion into the economy. The number of Americans filing for unemployment benefits rose by a few thousand last week, but the trend continues to point to a healthy labor market. Claims have now been below 300,000 for 74 consecutive weeks, the longest streak since 1973. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. Cracks are appearing in the leadership of Boko Haram with the Islamic State group announcing a new head for its West African ally. However, NPR's Afebia Quistarkton reports the ousted leader of Nigeria's extremist group maintains he's still in command.
0: Who leads Boko Haram? Abu Bakr Shekau or Abu Musab al-Barnawi? Shekau has been head of the extremist group since 2009 and says he still leads Nigeria's militant group. Boko Haram pledged allegiance to Islamic State last year. ISIS has now named al-Barnawi the new Boko Haram head, indicating a shift in strategy. In an Islamic State publication, al-Barnawi threatens to bomb churches and kill Christians and also pledges to halt attacks on mosques and markets used by ordinary Muslims. Under Shekau, Boko Haram has targeted and killed more Muslims than Christians in raids by suicide bombers and gunmen. Oferbia Kustarkton, NPR News, Lagos.
2: President Obama will speak to the press this afternoon after a meeting with military and national security advisors at the Pentagon. The meeting comes as the U.S. military ramps up its engagement in Libya with airstrikes against Islamic State targets in the city of Sirte. The U.N. Security Council has held a closed-door emergency meeting concerning North Korea's latest missile launch. The medium-range missile went down Wednesday, just 150 miles off Japan's northwest coast. Earl has been downgraded to a tropical storm as it moves inland over Belize. It came ashore this morning as a Category 1 hurricane, and the remnants could cause widespread flooding. I'm Jim Hawk, NPR News in Washington.
0: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Sotheby's Institute of Art, offering master's programs in art, business, contemporary art, and design. Made for aspiring art world professionals, application information for campuses in New York and London is at Sotheby's Institute.com.
3: Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio. Search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: I'm Terry Gross. Listen to Fresh Air weekdays at 3 on MPB Think Radio.
3: You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Teens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Good morning. This is Southern
1: Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC and Program Director of the MedPeds Residency Program. Well, summer is almost over, at least uh, as school is concerned. Um Certainly wouldn't know that just stepping out there. It doesn't feel like fall yet. Um, And that's a big issue right now. I know both my kids are in football practice at all different times of the day and sometimes twice a day. So, uh, you know, we had a great discussion last week about hydration. Make sure that they're getting hydrated out there because that is a dangerous thing. I already had a couple of kids in the uh, Jackson metropolitan area and Clinton uh, that have had some, uh, at least a little bit of problems with that. And probably won't be the last, so keep them hydrated out there. It's hard to keep up with that, and then, uh, you know, if they're out in the sun for prolonged periods of time, you might want to look at different times of the day for doing things. So while you might be overjoyed at the notion of your kids getting out of the house and into school, uh, it's still a busy transition time for families, and there's lots of things that go on with illnesses. Certainly anytime anybody gets stressed, whether you're a parent or a kid, uh, you can get sick in doing that. Well, today's program is really your program, as it always is, but particularly today, any question that you have about the health of your family, uh, give us a call um, because we're going to take any and all calls this morning. We would love to hear from you. You can reach us by calling one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send an email to kidsandteens at mpbonline.org dot org. And we got a couple of people that are already calling in, so let's go to Donna in Jackson. Good morning, Donna. Oops, are you there? Hold on, just a second. We're going to get you on in just a minute. All right, we're trying to reach. Her. Are you there, Donna?
0: Hi good morning
1: good morning sorry about that delay um uh we're glad that you called in what's your question this morning
0: my son who is 15 went in for his sports physical and was told that his blood pressure was high
1: Oh, okay okay now is let me ask you a couple of questions about that um is was he uh was this something that he had been picked up prior to this or was this the first time the first time. Okay. Um, did they schedule? Was it just that one reading, or did they schedule something uh, after that?
0: Um, yes, we were scheduled to go see his pediatrician, and it was still high then.
1: Okay, so so more than one occasion it was high. Right. Um, so blood pressure is something that, you know, uh, high blood pressure is something actually that I treat an uh, awful lot in uh, kids and teens. It's not that common, but in our state it is about, you know, up to 5% of the of the pediatric population in some areas. So uh, there's, uh, you know, this is the way we train residents and, and students with hypertension. Uh, sort of my personal approach is there are three questions that we ask. The first question is: Are they truly? Do they truly have high blood pressure, or hypertension? And uh, that can be a tricky question. Some of the, the reason I, I ask you, Donna, if they had, uh, you know, if this was the first time or if they had seen somebody and then had a subsequent blood pressure. You really need three separate blood pressure. Well, th- three blood pressures on two separate occasions to make the diagnosis of hypertension. And even then, especially in kids and teens they can have an exaggerated stress response, particularly when they get around people like me in a white coat or in the office, uh, and their blood pressure will be higher. So sometimes we take multiple blood pressure readings to try to get what the true blood pressure is. And there are ways to do that outside of clinic, too, that are pretty simple and useful. So that's the first question. And uh, it sounds like where you are right now, you know, he may have high blood pressure. He may not. It's, it's just, um, in these usually, you know, this is the way that they present to my clinic is that they, uh, you know, it's picked up on a sports physical, a lot of new, uh, adolescents this time of year, uh, they get sort of screened for that. So after, after they've, you know, after you, and another, another point about the diagnosis of it too, you really have to make sure it's done right. So, a lot of clinics unfortunately uh you know sort of you're rushed to go through there uh blood pressure is not taken uh with with a uh, patient rested and with the appropriate uh cuff and in an appropriate manner and with somebody that's trained to do it so it's it is difficult particularly in an adolescent um another thing i would say is if they do have high blood pressure which again it sounds like the jury's not quite in on this with your with your uh son Um, is that, uh, you know, then they need to ask the question, well, what's causing it? And with 90% 90 of our teenagers, uh, they have what we call primary hypertension, uh, which usually means it's a combination of what they're eating, uh, usually not eating a healthy diet uh, or as healthy as it could be. Uh, It's related to inactivity a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times. And then also family history. So if they have... You know, in your family, if you've had, you know, one or two parents that had high blood pressure at an early point in their lives, say in their twenties, then that might make uh, the children a little bit more at risk for having that. And then usually, what what you can expect is some lab tests to try to figure out those first two questions, uh, and if there's any damage from the high blood pressure. And usually in teens, we don't see that. If if all those lab tests are normal then usually we would do what we call lifestyle modifications for six to 12 months. And again, these are just, uh, you know, specific recommendations on what, what they're eating. The dash diet, particularly in a 15 year old has been well uh, validated. You can Google that online. You don't, don't really have to wait to get on that. It's not something that's, that's just that special. It's sort of a Mediterranean diet that's high in uh, fruits and vegetables and not a lot of processed foods or red meat. Um, It is a challenge though sometimes for teens to stick to that and then act physical activity and usually if if all those lab tests are normal then we would you know maybe do that for about uh 6 months to a year and uh and recheck the blood pressure periodically if not some you know if it's not controlled after that and certainly medications are available the important thing to remember is what the whole problem with high blood pressure is we know that if it goes along untreated for long periods of time, it can do damage to your heart, to your brain, to your kidneys, really every organ in the body. And uh we want to treat that as appropriately and quickly as possible. We use diet and exercise as a as a base, as a foundation for all patients. But if they're not controlled after that, we really, you know, uh start to introduce medications to try to get it controlled. And uh, if if he has it, if it's something that needs to be treated with something other than diet and exercise, um, the important thing is the, the, the secondary goal is to allow them to do anything and everything that they could normally do. So that includes, you know, playing sports. Um, and something else to bring up, too, that you might want to, you know, ask them about, you know, any kind of supplements uh, that they're using. There are some supplements and energy drinks that have extremely high amounts of caffeine and uh, other substances that are sort of touted as natural but can raise blood pressure. So that's that's one of the things that, that you would want to go over. So I, I'd i encourage you to follow up with your pediatrician on that and just, you know, again, the jury's still out probably on that blood pressure. But even if it's high, there are some things that you can do to get it down that can allow him to, uh, to live a normal teenage lifestyle. Well,
0: great. Thank you for your time. That was a, a lot of informative um, information to process, and I'll keep that in mind.
1: Well, you're welcome, and uh, yeah, just just check with them, and you know, it, it, we do have uh, several uh, several physicians, including myself at, at University Medical Center, that are, uh, you know, trained uh, to deal with high blood pressure in kids, so uh, certainly we'd be glad to see them if their, you know, if their doctor wants them to, so thank you for, for calling this morning, Donna. That's a Great question. I could talk all day about hypertension, so I tried to keep it try to keep it, uh, try to keep it uh, concise. Probably wasn't as concise as you wanted, but uh, that's always something that uh, that's important to me and, and uh, needs to be addressed. We're talking about uh, any and all things today. Any kind of health questions you have about the health of your children or your family, you can give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two. Seven four six four, or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline dot org. Uh, let's go to Jared in Vicksburg. Good morning, Jared.
0: Oh, good morning, Doctor Stewart. How are you this morning?
1: Good. Do you have a question for us?
0: I do. So, uh, me and my wife have been dealing with something called colic in our mm. six, uh, uh, just a six week old son. And, man, he's always really cranky. And our, um, our pediatrician just suggested starting him on Zantac, But we really want to keep down any medications or any unnecessary medications. Uh, is there anything else that we can do to help?
3: help with
1: these. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. So, so he's six week old, you say, or? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, my, uh, condolences to you for dealing with colic. If you've ever had a child with colic, it is something that is not easy to deal with. And it, um, you always, I always want to encourage my parents of patients that have colic, Uh, It is something that won't harm the child. I think it harms adults in just having to deal with it. Unfortunately, we don't know a whole lot about colic, about what causes it. Um, uh, We do have some theories about that. Um, And, uh, you know, you can try a lot of different things for colic. Sometimes they work. Most of the time they don't. um, And everybody has their own favorite thing, gripe water or certain different feedings. But in truth, most of it will work itself out within about, you know, where you are right now, six weeks. So six weeks to eight months is usually about the tail end of that. And, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, colic is usually a colicky baby is one that cries unconsolably for no particular reason. Uh, it can be and frequently is after feedings, um, although it's not really linked to any kind of problem in uh, the, uh, you know, the gut of the child. But uh, so your pediatrician, um, if they recommended Zantac, Zantac is an antacid. It's been around for a long time. Uh, it's it's uh, used in both kids and adults to decrease the amount of stomach acid. And one of the theories of colic, and there may be some other symptoms that your pediatrician is, is picking up on too, um, one of the uh, theories is that there's an increased acid production in these kids, uh, that can make symptoms worse, and at six months, of, I mean, excuse me, six weeks of age, you know, they, the, the one of the problems is kids can't talk to you; they can't really tell you what their symptoms are. A lot of what we do as pediatricians is a lot of um, observation uh, of for some of those symptoms, and sometimes they can do things after they eat that may tip us off to uh, to reflux. But you know, honestly, sometimes if we've tried other things. Uh, that 's that 's something else to try uh so you, you mentioned you know are there anything else that you can try before medication certainly uh again with colic uh and if it 's reflux, there are some things that aren 't you know that you don't have to do with medication colic ag- again it's it's uh, it's sort of a trial and error now a lot of people after the child eats uh body contact so holding them close to you is is something that you 'd want to do rhythmic movements uh so whether that 's in a in a uh, appropriate uh, swing, or um, you know, I, I had colic as a baby, and my parents uh, put me in the car. So gas is cheap right now. That might be something you want to try. But uh, I think they drove a lot, uh, and as long as they were driving, I was I was content. So movement, sometimes rhythmic movement, back and forth in a rocking chair, anything like that, uh, can help out. If it's reflux, and again, that's that's increased acid production that um, you know that that's going backwards up into the esophagus and can you know in some kids be painful. Um, that's something else you can you can do some non medical uh, treatment for. One is making sure that that at each feeding that your child is not getting too much volume wise. Uh, so a lot of times because they're colicky, what happens is they get Get very angry, get very frustrated. They cry. Uh, sometimes those those signals are misinterpreted as they're hungry, so they they tend to overfeed a little bit more, and they swallow mo- more air, which leads again to more reflux. Um, but after feed, you know, smaller volume feedings, you may have to feed them. Uh, um, more frequently, so less time in between feedings is something that you may have to do, and then keeping them upright. So we we like to use gravity to help that food sort of travel on through um, from the esophagus to the stomach and then outs out of the stomach. Uh, one important point that I tell all parents, though, particularly if it's a reflux problem, all babies reflux, all babies reflux. This is something I learned as a resident. Uh, from Dr. Paul Parker, professor of uh, pediatric gastroenterology and training, you know you don't you don't see anybody that has kids, either parents, grandparents, caregivers that don't have that cloth on their shoulder, and that thing's there for a reason because when they spit up, it's coming out, and that's just the way that they're designed. their Their lower esophagus, we call it the lower esophageal sphincter. It's a muscle, and it's not developed. Uh, in the same way that older kids and adults, uh, uh, it's it's developed. So when their stomach uh, increases pressure, it fills up. It starts doing digestive processes like it's supposed to do. Uh, Sometimes that can go back up into the esophagus and cause problems. And in some, you know, most kids, if if you look at them when they reflux, they can have stuff coming out their mouth, out their nose, and it doesn't seem to cause them any problems. It's the kids that really... You know, they may be losing weight because of it. Uh, When you watch them, it looks like they're in more distress. And those are the kids we do some of those maneuvers I talked about with smaller volume feedings, uh, with keeping them upright. Uh, There are some things, at six weeks, uh, you know, you want to check with your physician to make sure this is appropriate. But you might could add uh, rice cereal to the formula uh, Mm -hmm. in an appropriate amount. And what that does is it just thickens it up to the point where it's harder to Uh, to reflux back up. If you think about it, you know, if, if as an adult, if you drink 40 ounces of, of a soft drink uh, and you, you know, have some reflux, it's more likely to come back up. We call that a water brash, Um, not, not vomiting so much, but it's more likely to come back up. And if it's solid foods, they tend to stay in the stomach a little bit more. So you can do that. There are, there is a formula out there uh, called Infamil AR that when it hits stomach acid, it, thickens up. It sort of does the same thing as rice cereal. Um, so, you know, there's some other alternatives than, than strict medications. I will say those Antac is a pretty safe medication. It has very few side effects, uh, at this age range, but certainly, yeah, we like to, to minimize the amount of medications that, uh, particularly younger kids are on, but I might try some of those maneuvers first for reflux just to see. And, uh, keep in mind, uh, a lot at the end of the tunnel, you're at six weeks now, Likely that colic is going to get better over the next couple of weeks.
0: All right. Well, that
3: sounds good. Thank you for your
1: tips. Okay, Dr. Stewart? Sure, sure. Thank you for calling and uh, get some sleep when you can and help when you can. I tell you what, colic will wear families out. I've seen it time and time again. They come in and and, uh, they need some help. So if you know a family that has colic, go offer to take care of their kid. Give them a break. We're talking about all things this morning. If you'd like to call us, you can... Reach us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Or you can email us at kidsandteens at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with Ryan.
0: Support for MPB comes from Fondren's First Thursday, today, beginning at 5 p.m. A community event featuring local art, merchants, live music, family activities, and craft beer. More details at fondrenfirstthursday.city.
2: This is MPB Think Radio,
3: Mississippi Public Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Teens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, we're taking all calls this morning. That means if you have any questions about the health of your kids, teens, family, give us a ring this morning. Some time for some good free advice. We're going to try to answer your questions about the health of your family because it's important to us, and uh, that's what we do um, the number to call if you have that one of those questions is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can email us at kids and teens at mpbonline dot org. had a caller too that had to go, and they were going to uh, have a comment about uh, the blood pressure. Uh, a patient, the 15 year old had a blood pressure, you know, relaxation techniques was what they were going to bring up. That's certainly something that you can, um, you know, suggest and do biofeedback is actually a great way to get blood pressure down. And, uh, it's thought that individuals who have what we term white coat hypertension, uh, which is not, you know, it's basically, we, we would want to know what their blood pressure is outside of clinic. Cause that would be important. And there's, again, there's other ways of monitoring that with, um, with uh, blood pressures that they take themselves or with uh, specialized monitors that do that over a period of time. Uh, but relaxation can be a great way to uh, to treat that. And, you know, if you have white coat hypertension, it's not entirely normal because it's an exaggerated stress response. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you know, driving in Jackson traffic, uh, or some other places, uh, certainly that's a stress response. Uh, and it's interesting if your blood pressure goes up then and you're on the road all day long, then that's going to have its effects uh, down the road with uh, in regards to heart attack, stroke, and those types of uh, risk factors. All right, let's go to Ryan in Biloxi. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Ryan. Are you with us?
4: Hey, Dr. Stewart. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I have a quick question for you. My wife, Ann, and I, we recently took our eight-year-old son to his pediatrician just for a regular wellness visit before he started school, and he said he heard a heart murmur, Mm -hmm. and my kid is normal, he's active, and the pediatrician said there was nothing to worry about, um, and he doesn't seem to be having any problems, but my wife and I were concerned, does he need to see a cardiologist?
1: Yeah, how old did you say that he was again? He's Eight years old. Eight years old. Yeah. So, so heart murmurs. Uh, I guess we should define sort of what that is. So, when the when the physician um, does an examination on a patient, they you know they listen to their heart. They're listening for for both normal sounds and abnormal sounds. Usually, when uh, we, you know when we tell patients that they have a heart murmur, it means that they have an extra sound in there. And heart murmurs, particularly in kids. Can be normal or abnormal, and there's several different ways to determine whether they're abnormal or normal. One way is by exam. So some types of murmurs, particularly if they're not, um, you know, they're not too terribly loud. So the intensity of the murmurs not loud. Um, it based on where they are in location, the character of the murmur. I mean, these are all things that are sort of subtle, but um, you know, that you can pick up sometimes. And, and particularly as a pediatrician, you know, we get uh, a lot of kids that come in with what we call innocent murmurs or a flow murmur. Uh, and those are totally normal. And it may be that when they heard it, that's probably what they heard, the characteristic of that. Um, if your child doesn't have any other health problems, um, you know, it's probably at that age, they probably don't have any anything else. And a lot of times we'll We'll monitor those over time, so we'll bring them back in you know three to six months of age or even once a year, and just listen to that murmur again and see if it's changed so I guess the, you know the question is do you need something else like a an appointment with a cardiologist and if it's If it sounds like one of those murmurs, uh you know certainly you don't need to see them and uh, don't necessarily need an echo. an echo is just an ultrasound device that looks at the at the heart chambers and at the valves. And make sure uh, makes sure that they're working appropriately, and not having any problems. So, if your pediatrician, you know, if they feel comfortable doing that, and they've, you know, certainly uh, most pediatricians would feel very comfortable with making that distinction. Uh, if that something changes over time, then certainly that would be the point, the trigger that they would want you to go see a cardiologist. But hey, you know, I always tell families if you want a second opinion, that's that's great. You can do that. Um, but not necessarily, you know, at that age, if they're fine and they, they may just have an innocent murmur. Um, and, uh, you know, if it goes on long enough, I actually had something called an S3 up into my twenties, uh, pretty close to when I was 30. And, uh, it was really cool in med school cause I could just let people listen to me and, uh, you know, f- to, to hear that totally normal thing. Uh, it's gone now cause I am not young anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody has a little bit different sound of their heart and, um, Um, that's probably what they meant when they said they wouldn't uh, need any kind of other, you know, further follow-up. But, uh, you know, uh, if something changes, particularly if, you know, if uh, your child starts to develop symptoms, uh, which would usually be um, shortness of breath when they're doing activities or chest pain, then uh, you certainly would want to get them seen by your pediatrician and probably a a cardiologist at that point. But it sounds like this is an innocent murmur, though, uh, from what you've said. All right, thank you. Sure. Thanks for calling, Ryan. We're talking about everything today that you could possibly ask. Um, so I put myself on a spot for that, didn't I? So the number to call if you have any questions about the health of your family on Southern Remedy Kids and Teens uh is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to John and JS. Hello. Good morning, John. Thank you for calling.
4: Hi, um, I have a three-year-old who continues to be, get sick. Um, it's never on a consistent basis. It you can never tell when it's going to happen. He can tell me about a thirty seconds to a minute before, but you know it's never on a consistent basis. It's never right after he eats, but I mean, well, it's not consistently consistently after he eats. But his pediatrician can't figure out what's going on. We can't connect it to anything. So, what do you suggest? Uh,
1: and, and by getting sick, you mean vomiting after that? After yes. and then these episodes. Okay. And as you said,
4: projectile.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, are there times, is this with every time you said it's inconsistent with feedings? Are there times when he can keep it down and other times that he can't?
4: No. When he says, when he's three year old, when right. three years old, he says, me puke.
1: And it comes. coming. Right. And that, which is, that's typically what that age range does. There's no warning. if If they feel it, it's, it's coming and mm-hmm. you're lucky to get a warning. Um, so uh do any of y'all have reflux or gastritis in the family? Anybody have that?
4: Uh I think mo well, I think his mother does. Uh-huh. But uh it's relatively controlled and I might.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, so so this sounds like it might and there could be a couple of different things in a three year old. Uh, one of the more common things is is what we mentioned earlier is uh, gastritis or or um, reflux related um, gastritis, and it can become serious you know it in a three year old again, if they feel like they're going to throw up, they don't really have the you know the they can't control right they can't suppress that the way an older child or an adult would um, and certain foods may be triggering that, so certain foods that increase acid production. Spicier. Well, I thought
4: it might be tomatoes at one point, but yeah, it wasn't.
1: Yeah, and and it's hard to tease those things out. Um, if if you haven't tried, you know, I, I, again, I would at three. I would I would uh, you know check with your local physician and see if something like Zantac or an antacid, maybe even a well, another class of them is called a proton pump inhibitor. Um, okay. A short course of that may be in order. Um, uh, we've, we're sort of getting a, away from uh, putting, you know, people on these for the rest of their lives just because of oh, potential yeah. side effects. But, you know, that might be something to to at least try because a lot of times what happens is the the lining of the stomach gets irritated to the point where it needs time to heal. And every uh-huh. every time you throw up, you just sort of make that worse. Same thing with the lining of the of the esophagus, the tube that connects the throat to the, to the stomach. So that I'm may that, be something to what? sort of. Quiet down the process you know to decrease in the, the amount of acid production um, would
4: like a would like a cough throat cause the irritation of uh lining of the stomach
1: yeah it can uh a cough service sometimes they'll uh, depending on what the ingredients are in there they can they can do that sometimes you can you know there's some kids that throw up after coughing too we call that post hussive emesis. Uh, so, you know, sometimes we will use that. I would start there. If that's still a problem, I would say a pediatric gastroenterologist is, is who I would see. Uh, and you know, at three years old, they may want to try again, the trial of those antacids for a while, uh, to, uh, decrease that production and see if that improves the symptoms. Has he lost any weight with this?
4: No, no. He's gained okay. nine points.
1: Okay, good, 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 good. Those are the ones we worried about a little bit more. So I would, you know, I might try that and just check with your local doctor there. And if that doesn't work, I would say go to see a pediatric gastroenterologist. In in some circumstances, particularly if it's more chronic, they may do a scope in the same way that, you know, an adult would get that. Um, And to look at the stomach lining, uh, there are some some infections that sometimes you can get there uh, with a bacteria called H. pylori. Uh it's it's a little inconsistent whether that causes problems in kids or not, but that's that's a possibility at least. But I would talk with him maybe about one of those antacids first and then and then go from there. All right.
4: That answers my question. All thank right. Thank you very much. Sure, thank you, you for a wonderful day.
1: Thank you. You too. Thanks for calling, John. Yeah, that reflux in a three year old, man, they'll just let you have it. Um I remember my kids were about three. Uh, one of them was my oldest was, I believe, and uh, we were on our way home from something, and he just said, "Throw up." That's it. That's all the warning I got, and then I caught it uh, all over me, uh, getting out of the car. So, uh, yeah, you had to sort of play dodgeball with a three year old like that. Um, but fairly common thing that we that we see uh, is with reflux. Let's go to Clark in Jackson. Good morning, Clark.
3: Good morning, Doctor Jimmy. This is Clark in Jackson calling about. A uh, little Jefferson. I think we spoke about him last year.
1: Ah, the name sounds familiar, yeah.
3: Yeah, so last time I called, little Jefferson was having this itchy rash, and I think you said to give him some Benadryl and, uh, or some Benadryl cream or something, and that seemed to work. So he's six now and has been having some heartburn after he eats a lot of pizza. Uh, I don't really know what to do. I gave him some Advil at first, but some one of my friends told me not to do that. And uh, somebody mentioned some Zantac, but I don't want him on too many medicines. I was just calling to get your opinion.
1: Sure. So you said he's six now?
3: Yeah, he's six. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, particularly if you want to, and again, this sounds like an irritation in the lining of the stomach. Uh, with And different foods sometimes do that. More acidic foods that you know, are or at least are going to cause an increased acid production in the stomach to try to digest that can sometimes trigger it. Everybody's a little bit different in those, though. I mean, some people can eat one thing, and it's okay. Um, So at six years old, uh, that would be the most common thing. And, you know, sort of heartburn after eating something like pizza. Um, uh, I would, you know, the easiest thing from a treatment standpoint is, you know, you go to the doctor, and you say, Doctor, my arm hurts when when I do this. And the doctor says, Well, don't do that. Uh, so if pizza is a problem, you might want to steer away from pizza. And I know that's easier said than done, uh, in some circumstances, but generally fast foods increase acid production, um, uh, more so than, than healthier foods. Uh, unless we're talking about things like, uh, our last caller mentioned, you know, tomatoes as being one of the classic things to do that, that have more acid in them. Some fruits will do that as well. Um, so eliminating the food may be the, the first thing I would do to try to, you know, decrease those symptoms. Now you mentioned Advil, I believe in given, uh, Jefferson, uh, as a treatment. Now that's probably, I probably would steer away from those. Those are Advil is an NSAID, so it's ibuprofen and that's a non anti-inflammatory. Uh, those medications are used for pain, for, uh, inflammation and fever, um, anti anti inflammation and fever, and uh, but what they can do to the stomach is it can make it sort of worse because they decrease the way that the stomach some of the uh, natural hormones the stomach uses to keep it uh, protected against the acid production. So it's not common, but I, you know I probably would not use that. Um, at Zantac again that's a that's a anti acid medication. It's called a H two blocker, a histamine two blocker and it decreases the little pumps that the stomach has in making acid. Uh, so a short course of that would certainly be fine. Again, it might let the stomach sort of heal up. That in combination of of not using, you know, not giving them pizza for a while or or whatever else it, you can identify as triggering it, um, it that, that would be helpful. Uh, food diaries sometimes can be useful too. So if you write down, you know, when they have an episode, think back, okay, what did they eat? Particularly the last meal, uh, maybe even all the food that they ate, uh, you know, during the day uh, prior to that, just to sort of see um, if that's a cause uh, that it might be. But I, you know, getting away from the pizza, um, try not to overeat with portion sizes. Again, with a with a six year old, that's a bit of a challenge sometimes. And then uh, maybe not given the Advil, but maybe doing a little bit of the a um, little bit of the Zantac uh, at least for a short course, just to see if that would if that would help. Does that does that sound okay, Clark?
3: Yeah, I think I think we can do that. And he loves the pizza, but we'll we'll see if we can steer him away from that. I appreciate yeah. it, Doctor Jimmy.
1: Sure, thank you for calling. Yeah, pizzas—that's hard to get, and uh, you get into routines too. I know we uh, we in our family we get into routines sometimes about doing that. It's a whole lot easier when you got kids going to all different kinds of things to uh, to get that fast food or pizza, and certainly they they love it, um, but it's. Uh, Sometimes you've got to deviate from that. Good lesson for your child, too, to learn along the way that sometimes you can't have everything you want and you have to sort of go back to uh, doing things a little bit different. Let's go to Sherry in Clinton. Good morning, Sherry. Hi. Do you have a question for us this morning? I
0: do, Dr. Jimmy. I want to ask about the Zika virus. I'm concerned for my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And what I want to know is how if a young Female contracts the Zika virus, and then at some point later, five, six, seven years later, becomes pregnant. Is that virus still in her system?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Now, Zika. I don't think I don't think anybody's out there that doesn't uh, you know hasn't heard about Zika. Uh, again, this was a virus that's uh, that was it's more common in the tropics, but of course with uh, world travel and with mosquito transmission, particularly here in the southeastern United States, it's a concern, uh, particularly during the summer months. And uh, the 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 problem with Zika usually, if for the person who is infected with it, if they're uh, you know even a child or an adult, you may have symptoms that are a little bit similar to the flu. So you may have a fever, you may have some aches and pains, um, uh, headache is common with it uh mu- you know muscle aches and pains too with the headache so uh certainly most of the time you'll get over that infection without any uh problems um and um you know and be immune to that uh, potentially afterwards so that if you're exposed to it again you could you could fight it off the the problem with zika that we that we've seen is in pregnant women uh who are exposed to zika uh, most of the time through mosquito transmission, but there is transmission through sexual contact as well uh then the baby their babies are more at risk for some birth defects, which include microcephaly, which is an abnormal development of the brain where the brain is smaller they end up having you know smaller uh heads because the brain's not developing, and then there's some other developmental problems over time. Uh, and really, it causes a lot of problems, and we're, we've seen this for at least a little while in the, you know, in the uh, developing countries. And again, the primary transmission is through mosquitoes. So the the virus is uh, picked up by the mosquito from one person and transmitted when it bites somebody else. However, the thing that's different, and, you know, we're very familiar, I think, with West Nile in the state, um, and certainly has a similar transmission through mosquitoes. The difference with Zika is that it can be tra- transmitted sexually. Uh, so, in a if a man, uh, if a male uh, develops Zika, he can transmit that uh, to a woman through sexual contact, and actually up to six months later. So, even if you've you've gotten over the Zika infection. Uh, a male, we know, can transmit that up to six months. So you have to take precautions to try to decrease that uh, transmission. That's a real problem. The other problem is in uh, what we're seeing sort of in a, one of the Miami neighborhoods with local infections of Zika. So uh, that are now in this, the, you know, this in the past couple of weeks we've seen this, that it's transmitted within that population. So, in other words, it wasn't brought into the United States from somebody who was exposed, say, in Central America or South America, um, it's It was brought in, and now it's in some of the mosquitoes in the Miami area in one neighborhood. Um, most people think because of differences in the way we live in the United States that this is going to be a problem, but it's not as going to be a, a big a problem as it is in South America or Central America. Uh, the biggest thing is making sure you protect yourself against mosquito transmission and if your partner has been exposed to areas that have Zika virus and, uh, you know, and, and um, uh, somebody, if, if, they're of, if there's any chance that they might get pregnant, they shouldn't have. They should have protected sex if they're going to have that. So your question was if, if a female has that, develops that. And years down the road, uh, would it affect their baby? I, You know, right now, we we don't have any evidence to say, you know, once you clear it from your system, which years later you should have cleared that from your system, then you shouldn't uh, have a risk of transmitting that. Um, ideally, if they're not exposed at all, that would be the, the best thing. Uh, but with the, you know, I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see more episodes of this with the way travel is. And it's a big, uh, you know, with the Olympics going on right now in Brazil and Rio, uh, which is an area that has Zika virus, that's a big issue. That's why some athletes have opted, uh, male and female, to not go because of concerns over the transmission. Um, mosquito repellents work. They're safe in children and ad- adults. Um, keeping your your screens. You know, if you open your windows at night, which even in Mississippi, it's still burning up. So, but if you do that and you make sure you have screens on your windows or don't open them at all. And then, uh, if you go outside, uh, you know, making sure that you're, you're protected against mosquitoes, that's the best thing you can do. But, you know, from the info that we have right now, uh, you know, particularly for your question, uh, years later, shouldn't be a problem. Uh, hopefully they wouldn't get exposed at all. And there's, there's a lot of research right now, obviously in a vaccine for this to try to prevent, uh, transmission, uh, because it it does you know in those those kids that are affected i mean that's just a devastation to that child and the family uh, that you would hopefully want to prevent but what we have right now is just uh you know methods to not get bitten by mosquitoes so thanks for thanks for calling sherry that's a yeah, that's a big issue in the state that we uh hopefully will not deal with uh, but we want to be prepared with it if we do so uh take care of yourself if you're outdoors we're going to take another break when we come back we're going to continue our discussion about any and I- any and everything that you want to call in about so we've got plenty of open lines and a little bit of time left in the hour so if you'd like to call us today with any kind of question you might have the number is one mpb ring that's 1-877-672-7464 or you can give us an email at kids and teens at mpbonline.org we'll be right back after this break
0: Conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day.
2: Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio.
3: Catch up on past episodes and hear any of the MPB programs you've missed on the MPB Public Radio app. Available on iTunes and Google Play. Listen live to MPB Think Radio and MPB Music Radio search MPB Public Radio. This is Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Owens. I'm Dr. Allie Brown. Join us on Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio, where we talk about issues related to health from a woman's perspective. Listen to us on Southern Remedy for Women on Fridays on MPB from 11 to 12. You don't have to be a woman to call in. So we love to hear from you. It's the show for women and the people who love them. Join us tomorrow at 11 o'clock. We'll be taking your calls to answer all your health questions. It's Southern Remedy for Women on MPB Think Radio.
2: This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public
3: Broadcasting. You're listening to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to Teens at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
1: Welcome back to Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and we're uh, getting all kinds of different questions about you and your family's health. got plenty of time for a couple more people to call in. If you've got a burning health question about your kids or yourself, you can call us at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Hazel on the road. Good morning, Hazel.
0: Good morning, Doctor Jimmy. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for calling.
0: Thank you. My my question is, I'm I'm fixing to turn fifty years old and I've had a lot of trouble with my heart fluttering or mm-hmm. uh, skipping a beat and sometimes it beats real loud. I mean like I can hear it in my ears and it's real like it feels like it's going to come out of my chest. <laughs> but is that normal to to do that? I don't consume feet? You know, maybe just a little bit in my multivitamin, but that's it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, heart fluttering—it's—it's uh, it's common. The things I—I I would ask is, do you have any kind of other medical problems?
0: Um, I, I did have high blood pressure at one time, which is under control. I don't even take my high blood pressure medicine anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's and that could be a risk factor too. Um, in making sure that it is under control, at least less than one forty over ninety, maybe even lower than that. Um, let me ask one more question. When you have this heart flutter fluttering, is it just any time of the day? And what happens with it when it, when you exercise, like if you walk,
0: um, it is any time of the day. And it. I, I don't really get tired or anything when I'm walking, but sometimes, it, it, like I said, it feel like it's gonna, you know, come out of my chest, you know, when I'm and I can hear my ears beating really loud when I'm walking or trying to exercise. Yeah,
1: okay. So, uh, you're at fifty years of age, and, and congratulations, by the way, with that. Bir- I hope Thank you're having a big, nice, happy birthday coming up planned. I hope somebody's listening uh, on the radio uh, that knows Hazel and can throw her a big birthday party. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, at that age, you start to get some uh, arrhythmias or extra heart uh, you know, beats, uh, a lot of people call them. Um, some of those are benign. They don't cause any problems other than just being so, sort of an annoyance. Some of them are. They can be caused by changes in the heart itself, in the conduction system of the heart, uh, or it can be caused by other things going on, like thyroid disease is a common one, uh, particularly in overactive thyroid uh, and, and some other conditions as well. You mentioned, uh, you know, uh, caffeine ingestion. Certainly the more caffeine you ingest, the more likely you are to have uh, arrhythmias or extra um, um, beats in the heart. Um, it, there, there's a couple of things that we ask in the history just to sort of tease these things out. One of them is sort of the things I ask, what happens when they, when, what's you know, when, what are you doing when they go on, when they come on, do they cause any problems and they limit your activities? Most of the time, uh little extra heartbeats or fluttering of your heart that uh, goes away with exercise or doesn't cause any limitations in what you do. Most of those are benign. However, at age 50. Uh, you know, if you were 20, I would say if it doesn't cause any problems and you can go on about your business and are fairly active, it's probably not that big a deal at 50. I probably an easy thing to do, uh, would be to do a, at least a baseline EKG, which is just looking at the electrical activity at your heart of your heart. However, if, you know, depending on when you have it, the best thing would be to try to get an electrical reading an EKG of your heart while they're happening, um, an EKG, if it's going on when you have it, uh, will catch that. But if not, you, may, you know, they may want to do something called a halter monitor. And that's just a, an EKG that, that takes your, uh, the, the electrical tracing of your heart continuously over a period of time, usually 24 to 48 hours, or an yeah. event monitor that does it longer than that to try to catch them. Um, but it, you know, I would, I would probably check this out with your doctor at 50. That's a great time to go in and just make sure everything else is okay too. And just mention that to them. They'll probably start out with that EKG and may want to get one of those other monitors, the Holter monitor, uh, or event monitor, try to, to delve that out. And then just making sure that you don't have other things like, you know, uh, thyroid disease that's, uh, that's sort of hiding out and causing those problems. I
0: do, I do get weak. Sometimes with it, I feel tired, you know what I'm saying, in my chest. It's hard to explain. It's like a weak feeling in my chest, I feel. Like, I don't know. Yeah,
1: if you're having having symptoms, I probably would go ahead and uh, get that checked out. So, uh, yeah, particularly if if you're having symptoms like the weakness or any kind of chest pressure or pain or shortness of breath, yeah, probably should go ahead and get that checked out by your doctor. Thanks for calling, Hazel, and uh, happy birthday to you early. Let's go to Mike, who's also on the road. Good morning, Mike. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for calling.
4: Thank you. Uh, I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter that has adult size bowel movements, and they are extremely painful. Mm
0: -hmm. Is
4: there anything she can do? We changed her diet and uh and all and she just has severe pain and it's from the size of her size that she's not overwhelmed
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it sounds like she's dealing with some constipation um which can make the bowel movements over time bigger uh, because less gets out at a time at two years old that's one of the times we start to see a lot of constipation problems Um, the, the problem with a two-year-old is once they've had these, these painful bowel movements, because they're so hard, so large to pass is they do the same thing we do if we're on the road or, uh, you know, doing something for a long period of time, we suppress that impulse and, uh, we'll just go to the bathroom later. What a two-year-old though, when they have that impulse to go, they, they clamp down, and it goes away, just like it does in us. But as far as she's concerned, nothing good ever came out of her bottom uh, because of that pain. So she never wants to have a bowel movement, and it just compounds the problem because more and more backs up upstream of that. Uh, the thing that you have to do is you have to get the bowel movements loose enough that they, they really can't hold it it too. Um, so that it 's loose, 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 uh, you want to do that over time so that she knows okay now, every time I have a bowel movement it 's not going to hurt, so a stool that's that's barely formed uh sometimes if it 's been going on long enough, you have to clean them out so there's there's some things that we would give them to do that. There are some you know some things like miralax over the counter that 's very safe uh you can it 's a powder, you can put it in as a capful in um, in any liquid and, uh, and it's, you know, it's really well tolerated. Increased water ingestion is something that you can do too. So, uh, you know, those are a couple of things I would do first, but you probably need to talk to your physician about that to get a good plan how to get her cleaned out on a regimen where she's having looser bowel movements. And we're talking, you know, at least a few months, probably three to six months to get her back to the point where she can not have that constipation. Thanks for calling, Mike. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. We want to thank everybody for calling in. I got some great discussions about a number of things. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from the members of the Foundation for Public Broadcasting in Mississippi. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jimmy. and You can join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.
2: forecast is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue Mobile app more at bcbsms.com. The above
1: normal temperatures are in place again today as is the high
4: humidity. We have a fairly persistent south breeze. It's not very strong.